I made 50000 in the stock market today. I had twins. I went to the poor farm. I'm on Millionaire Acres. That's life. The game of life. The game of life. You will learn about life when you play the game of life. First you start out with 2000 and a car. I got a car. You got a car. Then you may go straight to college just to get a lot of knowledge. Harvard. Or to business if you think you'll go as far. I'll be a star. You may go far. The game of life, the game of life. Hey, I'll get revenge. You'll get revenge. I got revenge. You got revenge. Milton Bradley makes the best games in the world. So play the game of life. That's life. Are you inspired, evolving, or stealing ideas? You know, they say there's no such thing as an original idea anymore. In fact, it was Mark Twain who once said, there is no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible. We simply take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. We give them a turn and they make new and curious combinations. And boy, in turning that kaleidoscope, we come up with some weird ones. Did you know that there's a business that will deliver your message through the mail on a potato? It's called a potato parcel. Or a company that sells socks in threes so that, you know, you've got a backup for that sock troll that eats them out of the dryer. It's called Throx. Or a site called My Friend Smells where you can pay five bucks to anonymously send a friend a cologne wipe with a note telling them how badly they smell. Yeah, I know a few folks who could use a subscription to that one. Um, By the way, that last one seems to be a content marketing platform for a cologne company. But I digress. Anyway, are those new ideas, the kaleidoscope, or stolen? How about music for a second? How many new ideas for melodies can there actually be? Well, let's say there are 13 chromatic notes we can use. Now, why 13, even though there are only 12 notes in the scale? Well, we'll make the somewhere over the rainbow exception here and say that there can be an octave melody from C to C. Okay, with that said, there are about 7,800 variations of a four-note melody. I think Mary had a little lamb here. There are 385 million eight-note melody combinations. And there are more than 75 billion 10-note melodies. And we haven't even gotten to 11, 12, or 13 yet. Now, when you look at the Grace Note song database, there are currently 138 million songs in there. And this figured to be pretty comprehensive. So it feels like we might have a way to go yet before we run out of melodies. But that still doesn't explain Sublime's What I Got, which is basically just the Beatles' Lady Madonna redone. Sing it. Go try it out. It works. Or John Fogarty and the Old Man Down the Road versus CCR's Run Through the Jungle. Go listen. Just proving that you can even steal from yourself. And that's the question. When we come up with a new idea, a new piece of content, a new business idea, a new marketing strategy, are we stealing, inspired, or evolving that idea? Spinning the kaleidoscope, as Twain might say. Now, one way we might look at this kind of creativity is by asking how much of us we're bringing to this new idea. Remember, you can't steal an idea. Ideas are everywhere. They're universal. Anybody can have them. It's the expression of the idea that we have to be careful about lifting. So if we're inspired by an idea and bring our ideas into it, we're inspired. If we change it into something new, we're evolving it. Send that stinky friend some cologne. And if we're basically retitling the expression, well, then we're stealing. I'm looking at you, Ed Sheeran. Thinking out loud is Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On. 
In any event, that's the theme of our show today. Inspiration, evolution, or stealing? Whose ideas are we using as we try to move our business forward and innovate and evolve? And now it's time for me to evolve out of this blatant ripoff of This American Life and get to our little show. You ready to spin the kaleidoscope? Then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 169 of PR's This Old Marketing, recorded Friday, February 3rd, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy I steal from every day in content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? I, first of all, I have to thank you for moving this to a Friday because you know that. I'm going to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. In and that, I mean, when, as soon as you had me at Red Hot Chili Peppers, I mean, that, that is, you know, you are going to, uh, you're going to enjoy that show quite a bit. Because I know this is your first time to see them. Never seen yeah. them in person. Yeah. Always been a fan. Uh, you and I were talking before the show about uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic, that, that whole album. It's just, just a great album. Oh, it's not an then, album that you really relax to. Let's put it no, that way. It's not. It's no. not. It's not the album you put on when after a long hard day and but, you want to relax a little bit. It's. Uh, it's definitely an energy thumper. That's for but, sure. But to your point about sort of uh, you know creative inspiration ideas to the theme of the show. I mean that's sort of sort of fitting, don't you yeah, think? I do. You know, I on do. that note, I have to tell you this. Uh, later in the show, I'm going to talk about <laughs> Tools of Titans. Finally, I finished it. 670 pages. I think that's Long. amazing. I'll, I'm, I'm waiting for your cliff notes. Yeah, yeah. So I'll get, I will get you those. But yeah. I just started uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. Have you read that? I, I have it in my stack. It's in okay. my stack to read, but I have, not, I have not started it yet. So I just, I'm only a couple chapters in. And I got to tell you, I went into it thinking I was not going to like it at all. Like this, I'm like, I just, this is, feels fluffy to me. Yeah, you think it's going to be too wooey, wooey, wah, wah? Uh, yeah. yeah. And I got into it, and I'll tell you what, it's, there's, for this particular theme of this show, it is very fitting, the way that she starts off and how, uh, you know, the the idea behind how you get an idea. Yeah. And what her theory is, and how it's energy, and I don't know if I buy into it yet, but it's certainly interesting. So, you know. Third, you know, whatever, a quarter of the way through the book, I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carry it home. I love take it. it. I love it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read it. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a little more down that path than you might be, but, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm excited to read it, and, and I'm excited that you're getting value out of it. That's really awesome. Well, I have to. So, I, you know, I have a goal for 2017 to read two books per month. That's and right. Tools of Titans took me the entire month to read. So I'm already <laughs> well, it should behind, count as man. two. I mean, 617 pages should count as yeah, two books. That's what my wife said, but I can't. That's cheating. So maybe it's not I can, cheating. It's not cheating. cheating. Look, I, you know, I used to I, I used to have a joke on my resume. I mean, and really, only the English literature geeks out there are going to get this. But the I used to have this sort of very inside joke on my resume that when it said, you know, like other skills or special skills, I said, read Ulysses. 
and, and if you've and if you've if you've actually if you've actually mustered the courage to have the marathon to read Ulysses, um, then yeah, Joyce, you know that's a that's a tough one. It's you know and and it counts. I, I it counts as multiple books if you get through Ulysses. It's so funny because I was yeah. I was this is this happened a while ago, but somebody was asking me what I majored in at Penn State, and I said yes, I actually majored in rhetoric on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> it's like who does that? What you should have said was, did I major in rhetoric? <laughs> did I? <laughs> That's so good. It, yeah. It's, yeah, it's weird how things happen. The only reason I was there is because. Somebody at the last minute dropped out of the assist- assistantship program, teaching assistantship program at Penn State, and that led me down this whole path. I probably wouldn't be talking to you if that poor schlub didn't get into whatever they got in. And, and then I was the la- you know, I was on the call list. I was, I was, I was a farm in the farm league. Nice. And they called me up last minute. Yeah, I'll never remember. I'll never uh, forget. I, I lived right next to a subway at Penn State. Like a sub, like you mean, like, like a subway like, sandwich shop, like a not subway the, sandwich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a subway. Yeah. <laughs> the the subway. I also see. like a subway club, my friend. There it is. Every day for two years. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Jared and Subway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did that? Did we have any? We did news? have some news this any, week. Speaking we? of of different ways of monetizing content and advertising. Um, our first uh, our, our first news item for the show comes to us courtesy of Ad Age, um, and the headline here is really all of the things that went down at an event uh, last week, um, and namely uh, Procter and Gamble's Pritchard, um, who is the CEO of uh, or excuse me, chief brand officer of of P and G, called for digital to grow up. Um, and P&G adds new rules to the way that they're going to be dealing with agencies. And the story opens up by saying Procter & Gamble, the nation's world's biggest advertiser. Um, I always thought Coca-Cola was bigger than P&G, but I, all right. So no, anyway, I think it is P&G. You think yeah, it I is think, P&G? Yeah, all right. Absolutely. Yeah. Is laying down the law for digital media players and agencies in a five-point program that will take effect this year as outlined by Chief Brand Officer Mark Pritchard on Sunday evening at the Interactive Advertising Bureau's annual leadership meeting in Hollywood, Florida. The day of giving digital a pass are over, said Mr. Pritchard, urging the rest of the ad industry to follow P&G's lead. It's time to grow up. It's time for action. Yeah. The heavily influential <laughs> marketing <laughs> program includes a thorough review of the media agency contracts after the company found a surprise in its dealings with at least one agency, plus requirements that everyone uses industry standard viewability metrics, fraud protection, and third-party verification. Um, I definitely have a take on this. What, what is your take? I, I I want more than anything. I want to get your take. I have a couple quick. I have a couple quick things. So just pointing out from the article. So they did. So P and G did an audit, and they realized yeah. that, that that agencies were were taking their money and and actually making money off of that as a float. Yeah. Before they actually paid for media services, Shocked. which was actually in their contract. Yes. I was, yeah. So you know that was interesting, and then. The whole viewability thing, I believe, is sort of a, a race to the bro- bottom. I didn't even know about this media rating council. I mean, you would know this. I, I didn't know that oh, a 50% of the of the pixels need to be seen on screen for at least a second to count as a view. I'm just like, 
it's such a isn't it a race to the bottom like it oh, is here's and, a, and and, and oh, guess what the, those those rules are never followed just just so you know i mean you know those are all really nice and there are lots of meetings and committees and this is what happens at these big events is they sit and argue about you know all of these standards and all this kind of stuff and it it doesn't work that way nobody i mean it, it just just so we know the you know this the sausage making here and nobody nobody follows those rules and, well, that's and then what, and, and i think that's what he's he's bitching about right is the fact that it's time to, to to actually grow up and get some standards around this because what the iab would say is well there's been standards and every, you know it's 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 the classic chief renault walking in and saying i'm shocked there's gambling going on in the casino you know <laughs> well that's well that's the thing it sounds like p&g wants to use this media rating console which is the 50 percent of a pixel on screen for a second and 50 percent of the video player playing for two seconds and i guess these have been in place since 2010 yeah and then Unilever, but, but they're you know p&g's main competition unilever doesn't use those they use something completely different that's so, right of course you've got a little fight there going on of course well he's and throwing, then there's this, he's, he's basically throwing them under the bus saying that, yeah. that you know that they're that they're part of the problem i i think the whole thing is uh, i mean so basically i mean it's worth it's a worthy read of the it's article because read, yeah. because you 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 see how much and then what half of the viewership is you know are bots anyways it's fraud so just trying to figure so they're going to bring in these third party this third-party accreditation group that everybody will then go through that always sounds like a real good idea. Yeah. So I, I mean, I. So that's my my take is, boy, I really like the the focus on behavior over viewability. I get it for these large business to consumer companies, but man, there's got to be a better way than this. Well, <laughs> well, there there is a better way. Um, it'd be cool if somebody make, made an institute out of it or something like that, but that, you know, or wrote a book about it. But, you know, look, <laughs> I think, I, here's what I think. I, you know, you look at this, and this is the same news in a different day, right? I mean, this is something that certainly, I mean, look, uh, um, Bob, uh, I'm forgetting his last name, the the sort of the curmudgeonly Saget. ad. No, the, uh, the, the curmudgeonly ad Eli. guy. <laughs> Not any of those bobs. It's a different bob. Um, he came out and had this thing that that made comment on this thing to say, yeah, like, duh, right? His he's you know he he basically said, why are you you know why are you even wondering about this? Because this is this is you know he he called it was an article called "Is the Drunken Orgy Over for Digital?" Bob Hoffman is his name. Oh, okay. Um, you know, okay. and you've read him before. He's that curmudgeonly yeah. ad guy who never has anything nice to say about anything. <laughs> um, the the interesting thing to me here is that the one is the float thing because if you have it's like if you didn't know that was going on you just haven't been paying attention I mean that's, that's well been something it's so that's funny that I mean the article says oh well we read the agreement and they can do that exactly like exactly what you know didn't okay. you think it was a little weird when they asked you to write a check for four hundred million dollars before you were going to actually run any ads anyway. well and then what's really funny is that they go through 
and they're sort of back and forth making excuses. And then the agent, I guess some agency said, but well, we can't make any our money unless we do I mean, this. Well, that's exactly right. It was <laughs> like, it, this we is can't your make own money doing, on our right? real services. This is like, yeah, this is like building yeah. a wall and asking the taxpayers to pay an extra tax yeah. on avocados, right? This is the this is the exact same like, business model where it's like it, you you bled them for money, you bled these agencies for money, and said, no, we're not going to pay you any more overage on the media buy. And so they said, okay, well, we got to figure out a way to make some money on this media buying. So they <laughs> they said, oh, if we just stick it in an average savings account, we'll get a little bit of percentage out of it on the float so yeah it's I, like I, it's like get shorty it's just like oh we got to make our percentage off the big you yeah, know exactly <laughs> exactly something like that i hear the sunsets are the reason that, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah i you know look this is to me when i see this i i, I see a an, an industry in turmoil and and they can't figure it out what what is really you know what's really going to go on and i think this is sort of the beginning of the stage of <clears throat> there's a longer piece that i'm working on now i've got to i got a chance to actually work on it a little bit this week on this idea of the evolution of this surveillance based advertising and why it's ultimately detrimental to both the publisher you know this idea of programmatic and retargeting and targeting is ultimately detrimental to both the publisher and the advertiser and the reason is because what we're starting to do is arbitrage on where on the lowest common denominator, just to your point, where we're looking at ads and instead of looking at the context of where that ad is placed, it used to be a big deal when you had an ad placed in the Wall Street Journal or some really high branded, high minded magazine because you were leveraging off of their brand. If you had a full page ad in a beautiful, well branded magazine, that was a thing. So you put a little extra money into the art and because of the context of, but now the context doesn't matter. What we're doing is we're in this arbitrage game where we're putting in the quality of the, uh, the, the click or the quality of the data at the same emotional level, whether they click on it from BuzzFeed or from Bob's blog to whether they click on it in the New York Times. That's right. And, and yeah. so what's happening is, is that all they're doing with the retargeting, all brands are doing with the retargeting is saying, oh, listen, your audience is one that reads the New York Times, but they also read this fake news site over here. So why don't we just put our money there? Because it's it's so much cheaper to put our money there than it is to put it in the New York Times. And eventually we'll get that audience. And so that surveillance-based marketing is really something that's going to ultimately just come right back around and, and go all the way to the bottom of the margin until it's just nothing there. And so it's a really, it's a really disruptive time. And I think this all this this chaotic noise is just everybody sort of starting to realize that there is no there there. There there's there basically all the intermediaries here that have been making money for so long, it's just the 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 it's draining out and they're just discovering it. Well that's where when you read this, you just think there's not this is the worst of the industry. It just there's just nothing good. You don't get a good feeling about the advertising industry when you read an article like that. That's right. Just, just saying that. Though, just a total side note. I mean, it's inside going. baseball for sure, right? Let's yeah. be clear. Like, like regular consumers don't care about this, but but marketers should care deeply about this because this is this is yet another business case for content marketing. If it's not been made clear enough, this is. I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, this is. You've got to. You've got to start looking at disrupting the way that you go to business with marketing. And this is. This is just yet another example of. You know, get yourself out of the the this this mess before you know before you get trapped in the crowd. Yeah. That's right. 
just a side note before we go on to our yeah. next news article. I was watching CNBC yesterday, and the CEO of BBDO yeah. was on, and they were talking about, of course, we've got the Super Bowl coming up, and by the time people listen to this, it, it will, somebody will have won that game that I don't really care about. But anyways, <laughs> um, they were talking about how, and he, he threw out this stat, that 54% of consumers uh, actually prefer the advertising with the Super Bowl. You know, they want to they want to see the ads. I think that everyone knows that it's the one time that we actually don't want to forward through the ads. And sure. there was this conversation that I thought of you that was so interesting because they were talking about how the Super Bowl uh, creative in the advertising is so important. And especially for the Super Bowl, that brands and agencies put a lot of time into making sure that it's amazing creative. And I'm thinking, but why not do it all the time? Right, exactly. Why is that the exception, right? Why just, oh, we're just going to create the good. I mean, that so that really tells you where we're at with television advertising. Exactly. Because all the other stuff is crap. But hey, and they know it. This and is they the know Super it. Bowl. They know people are going to skip through it. And so they're saying they're basically devaluing the content and the message by saying, we know people are going to skip through this. So we're only doing the bare minimum. And it's, oh, it's just See, that would nuts. be that would be something where you could set yourself apart and say, our commercials that we that we take a lot of time and effort to tell stories a certain way in this 30 second spot. And they are all going to be great. They're all going to be like Super Bowl commercials. Yeah. Why, why not? Why can't you do that? Exactly. Instead of doing instead of doing twenty two different versions of you know the chicken parm you taste so good, I mean, why not do something really meaningful? And I don't mean to pick on nationwide there, but it's just you know it's it's like it's it's top of mind because it's just so frequent in my in my I see it. It's like take the time to really build in some high quality storytelling and do it in do it less frequently. Chicken parm, you taste so good. <laughs> All right. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on to our second story here. This one comes yes. courtesy of TechCrunch. Um, I give this one a 10 out of 10 for headlines here. Um, the Although there's so many. I'm, I'm, I, I'm hoping that when they thought of the headlines here that they had like 10 up on the whiteboard and they finally chose one and like my favorite didn't make it. But anyway, the headline here is Attack of the Clone. Um, the article is opens up by saying, good enough and convenient. That's proved a winning strategy for Instagram's clone, according to dozen analytics providers, social media celebrities, and talent managers who told TechCrunch they'd seen a decline in Snapchat stories usage since Instagram stories launched on August 2nd. Most reported declines in Snapchat stories views counts ranging from 15 to 40 percent um, and a reduction in how often they chose to monitor post uh, Snapchat stories. Meanwhile, our sources, this would be TechCrunch sources, report rapidly growing view counts on Instagram stories and engagement to follower rates. One social influencer target uh, talent agent called it insanely effing high. Um, love that quote. The success of Instagram stories, the decline in Snapchat usage we've heard from a wide array of sources, and Facebook's relentless drive to compete with the startup could spell trouble for Snapchat's IPO on the New York Stock Exchange market that's expected this March. Snap Inc. declined to comment for this story. So what do you think about this and Snapchat? I have a couple thoughts on this. I would say, I I would recommend that Snapchat pull back their IPO, their three billion dollar IPO, and just go back to Facebook and sell themselves. That's the one that thing I would do. The second thing that I would do wow, is that's a big idea. Is change my name to to MySpace. <laughs> 
Hey, you're just chock a block full of good ideas today. I'll take. Right. Okay. okay, let's just let's just look at it. <laughs> yeah, as it is. I'm okay. not going let's to conflate the idea. I just look at let's it. Just as look we at are. it as it is. <laughs> that just makes no sense when yeah. you say that. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. it um, is what it is. It is what it is. That's right. So Instagram owned by Facebook, unlimited resources they absolutely stole stole a lot of the capabilities that snapchat was able to deliver yeah uh and and what's happened what happened in this whole time period where a lot of the influencers that got started on facebook and instagram didn't want to necessarily make the jump and the article talks about this didn't want to make the jump to snapchat because it's another thing oh i gotta build another audience over here i gotta learn this platform so what happened is a lot of those celebrities influencers People like you and I were just like, well, we're just not – I don't know if that Snapchat thing's going to work, so we're just going to hold back. That's right. And and what happened is is now that Instagram has all these capabilities and you can basically build your audience – build there's a larger audience on Instagram and you can do all the same things. Why not just stay with Facebook and Instagram? Sure. Why go to Snapchat? And that's exactly what we're seeing, 25 to 30% drops over the last six months. If you – which probably is the reason why Snapchat is now Snap, because they're trying to figure out, okay, what are we? We can't just be Snapchat, because that's not going to be the moneymaker. By the way, there's nothing to sneeze at. 150 million users, nothing to sneeze at. But the same thing happened to Twitter. They got to a certain level of users, and you basically held that level. Yeah. I think well, the same thing might happen. So you have a great group there, but it's not, it's not going to get to $5 billion like Facebook. You know it's what? It's going to be Anyway, that's my take. Uh, no, I think it's I think it's right on the money. I, I, you know, it was funny because I, I thought I saw those numbers and I thought, "Oh, that's a that's a Twitter story, right?" You know, it's 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 similar to Twitter. And what I loved about um, it was a take I saw Jay Bear have and I absolutely adore Jay Bear and 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 he said something that is just has has really stayed with me. He said Twitter may or may not succeed, but it will succeed not because of how many but who uses it. Yeah. Right. And that's the real key here for Instagram for sure, Snapchat for sure, and Twitter for sure. It's not how many anymore, it's who. You know, in Twitter's case, one very prominent person, certainly. Um, but you can see how celebrities and sort of influencers use Twitter to be their sort of personal PR system and it yep. and it creates a reason for Twitter to exist. And so even with a core smaller audience, it can actually have a really interesting life cycle based on that. Um, it'll actually feed into a little bit of my, you know, it feeds into a little bit of my rant and rave later. But um, I think the same thing is happening here with Instagram, because if you look at the who is on Instagram versus who is on Snapchat and using it. Now, look, I will admit to being the older white guy in the room here. And, and so I don't, I don't use Snapchat. I don't know exactly who's on it. But I'm, my gut tells me if you did sort of an audit of who's on Instagram from a celebrity influencer, that sort of perspective, you would see it be a much higher percentage than is on Snapchat and using it frequently. Well, that's what the data is telling us. Yeah. That, and, and so if, you, so if, if you're on – here's the thing. If you're on Instagram – and you want to build an audience, Instagram, Facebook, whatever the case is, there's there's no reason, in my opinion, there's no reason to go to Snapchat. Why Now, if you have an audience on Snapchat, if you built that there, great. But just, 
I, I'm I think that this is this is troubling for Snapchat, and I can't see them keeping up the solid growth numbers and being able to uh, to become a Facebook type. I certainly competitor. don't see them keeping up the numbers. Yeah, absolutely don't see them keeping up the numbers. So 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 the, so I guess for marketers listening to this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be. I mean, I think what Snapchat's done is is amazing. Don't get me wrong, but it does have a little feel of uh, you know of Justin Timberlake in MySpace. It really, yeah, it feels overhyped. It feels it feels very overhyped at the moment. And I th- I think um, you know I think proceed cautiously, right? You know I you know I disagree with uh, you know I don't know if Gary Vee is still out there saying this, but he used to go out there and say you know you have to be everywhere, you have to be on all of them, and you have to be doing it all. And I and I of course Which I've I, always disagreed with. But, yeah, we all have. Yeah, we yeah. both have. And Absolutely. and and um, so I think proceed with caution, experiment, do whatever you're doing on Snapchat if it's working for you, great. But I think the the key here is proceed with caution because. After the, I mean, look, it's gonna IPO. Like, despite your, oh yeah, oh, despite your protestations is. to the other, it'll probably be it, yeah, successful. Be a, but but yeah. the, but you remember, it's not Snapchat. It's Snap. Snap. That's going no, public. exactly. Yeah, it's they're a virtual, looking. Yeah, they're looking at the augmented reality stuff. They're looking they're, at a whole bunch of different things, and it may. Because you're right, they may completely pivot out of being sort of a social media platform. I yeah, it's it's sort of like how AOL did such a successful job of mm-hmm. pivoting out of of <laughs> sending CDs. To <laughs> oh my god, that, that wasn't nice. We're both we're both that, in a mood today. It's, it's, uh, yeah, that's not that's not nice I, at all. Well, you so. know, I mean, it is AOL. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. All right. Yeah, Let's yeah. get to our uh, second to the last story here of the of the show, um, which we'll cover. This is this is a story that warms Joe's heart. I mean, this is one. Of, this is a story that's like the first time I read this story, I was like, I, Joe must be a glow right now with this story. This is called the reinvention of publishing. Media firms diversify to survive. This comes courtesy of theguardian.com. Um, and it opens up by saying the traditional model of the media business, a team of journalists creating content and a commercial team selling to the audience and consumes it, has reigned for centuries. Most publishers assumed with a few tweaks the model would survive the migration to digital and offset any losses from print, but spending patterns are proving otherwise. While advertisers are investing more in digital advertising, the money is more widely distributed, and significantly, any growth is being snapped up by Google and Facebook. Uh, and uh, the article then goes on to talk about several examples of publishers, small and medium and large publishers, that have really diversified into multiple revenue models and like I said, I thought when, first time I read this, I thought immediately of you. What did you What did you think of this? Well, it, what's interesting is when I first read it, I was almost like this is the exact uh, opposite, or maybe the other side of the coin from what you and I are working on with our new book. Yeah, so because we're looking at uh, you know the, the content creation on the brand side as a business strategy that can drive multiple lines of revenue and meet multiple strategic goals. Instead of just one thing or two things. And now here on the publishing side, you're seeing the same thing where you're saying, okay, we're not, we're, yes, we built an audience and we no longer have to say 99% of those revenues need to come from paid advertising or subscriptions. And I love some of the examples in this, like the Dennis publishing example, which is in this, which we talked about on this podcast before, by the way. Exactly. So, you know, long story short, they're growing like crazy. They've diversified their revenues all over the place, but 16% of their total revenues come from selling cars. I think that is It's so awesome. They have 35 magazines and websites and 
they bought basically they said uh, you know uh let's see ty james ty the ceo of dennis says we already had an audience of in-market car buyers <laughs> and relationships with car brands we saw a change in consumer habit and felt there was an e-commerce potential so they went and bought a car dealer <laughs> and they just integrated it in and now they sell cars which is you know, when we talk about content marketing, we say, "Oh, yeah, you can you can create the Furrow magazine and then sell tractors." But it's so weird when we and you. I think we just talked about this on last episode. When you get to media companies, most marketers and publishers you talk to think it's so weird that a publisher would generate revenues through other sources other than sponsorship or subscriptions. But here it is. Here's the example, and I and we're going to see more and more of this till what happens in. I don't know how many years. I mean, we, you and I can't predict it. I wish we could. That they're gonna, it's gonna look exactly the same. Yeah. The what brands are doing and what media companies are doing, the business model behind it are going to look identical. You will not be able to look at a P and L and where revenues are coming from and say, "Oh, that's Pepsi." I say, "Oh, that's New York Times." You're not going to be able to tell. So I, that's why I love this. This this is the future. Uh, in an article right now, in the present, and a couple companies doing what you and I are t- have been talking about for seven years in integrated platforms. I mean, it's it's just not that difficult a concept, but it's but it's yeah, it's businesses are becoming integrated platforms. What what media, you know, and it's all about what access to audiences. That's you know, I mean, and, if- and by the way, there's a great part in here from the uh, audience development person at the Economist mm-hmm. that talks about in this article about how the social media game changer for them. You know, everybody says talks about engagement in social media, which is fine, but I, yeah. I, I can't stand the term. I mean, I, I know it's a, it's a good thing and all that, but but they. Economist talks about how they've been able to significantly drive down subscription costs through social media. So, and we've been, uh, we obviously, we've been talking about that on this show about using social media channels to drive subscribers. Sure. And it's build a promotional audience. platform. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, basically, that's what this article talks about. So, if you're having challenges about building audience and <laughs> using social media to do it, and you're looking at diversification of revenue streams with your content platform, this is a fantastic article to read. So, fantastic. It's, it's wonderful. It's fantastic. It's no MySpace. That's not true. It's no AOL. It's no it's AOL. No it's AOL. no MySpace. The AOL um, episode. Exactly. All right. So our last story uh, that we'll talk about is, I mean, literally hot off the presses. This just came in. Um, this actually was sent in uh, by Amanda, our fearless and intrepid public relations person. And, and she sent in this note to both of us. Basically, it was a, you know, there's not really a story here. Um, there's something to talk about, but there's not really a news story to link to um, without linking into their subscription form. This is the Today Show. So you know the Today Show from NBC, um, the morning show here in the United States. And they also have a Today Show in Australia, by the way, which is awesome. Uh, the Today Show in Australia is like so much better than the Today Show here in the U.S. Just, okay. Not, oh, not I, just a quick, quick question on that. Did the Today Show people in the U.S. call the Today Show people in Australia and yell at them? I, I mean, I just, <laughs> it was a 25-minute phone call. And it Did, was, I heard it that was, the U.S. Today Show people hung up on the well played, the well show played, people sir, well played, well played. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, coming back to the story here, this was sent in by Amanda, and she basically, her question, and I think it's one that you and I can talk about, Joe, here, is, is that basically... 
How interesting it is is that they're really focusing on getting newsletter subscribers. Basically, the email she got was a real, a very encouraging email for her to subscribe to the Today Show email newsletter and how much they're pushing newsletters as a as a means of staying connected to that brand. And and I know you have a take on this, so I, I thought it was just fascinating. What did you think? Uh, well, I mean, for the last year, one of my uh, little segments in my, my content ink speech that I've been talking about is how publishers like BuzzFeed is the one I use as an example. They set up their audiences on platforms like Facebook and Twitter, but then Facebook and Twitter took away that control. So what were they going to do? And then over the last 12 months, they've been able to generate over a million subscribers to their e-newsletter, and they have 20 or 30 of them now. Um, We've talked about on this show how New York Times has exploded with the number of email newsletters that they've been able to create. And now just another proof point that the today the today show is doing this as well and how important email audiences are email subscriptions are not only for the publisher side media side but for for any brand out there doing content marketing and i just think it's it's amazing uh how and i i still see it today about forget about email focus on social and it, it almost seems like i go into a room and i'm talking about simplicity and email like be Focus on channels that you can really make an impact. Sometimes less is more. Folk email is critically important, and I feel like I'm doing a, a speech from 1997. But it's, <laughs> right. But I, I really do believe that's what we need to do. Instead of to your point before about being everywhere, you know the, the Gary V model, which I totally disagree with. Uh, I don't think that any any company can effectively be everywhere, everywhere and be right. amazing. And yep. be remarkable, as Seth Godin tells us to be. You can't do that. So, so, anyways, I just think it's good to share with our audience to let them know that this is is alive and well and and growing. Yeah. So, I mean, here it is. You know, sort of the traditional media adopting new media, new media adopting traditional media. It's it's you know. <laughs> What's the Bill Murray quote? His dogs and cats living together. It's it's <laughs> chaos. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, well, a lot, a lot of we, pop culture. We, yeah, uh, we pulled out the pop culture references episode. today. Yeah. Um, speaking of pop culture references and the, just the most awesome thing and, and things really working well together, we have an amazing sponsor to talk about here this episode. Absolutely. We do special thanks to our good friends at Presley. Robert, you know that it's no secret that sales and marketing departments have a complex relationship. Each has different objects, workflows, and methods of of measuring performance, but these departments also share the same essential need. Both require the right content at the right time in order to do their jobs. The great thing is about this episode and about Presley is they have the Starter's Guide to Sales Enablement, which dives into how you can align sales and marketing and start building conversion-focused content today. You can get the Starter's Guide to Sales Enablement at cmi.media slash PNR169. That's cmi.media slash PNR169. That's the Starter's Guide to Sales Enablement. And uh, as we talked about in the last episode, is sales enablement, breaking through the silos, aligning sales and marketing, whatever you want to call it, huge issue in most organizations. If it's an issue for your organization, download this wonderful little guide today. That's just fantastic. It's a it really good guide. It's a really, really good guide. Of course it is. We wouldn't yeah. be promoting a 
Absolutely. Bad guide. We would never Only good guides. Guide. No, no, yeah. no AOL guides here. This <laughs> the AOL guide to direct marketing. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for your favorite part of the show. It is our rants and raves section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel inspired or, quite frankly, something that makes us feel like we've been stolen from. Um, and let's see, uh, you have this old marketing because for the second week in a row, which I think has to be some kind of record, you have the, this old marketing example. It is a, I, I, we, somebody's going to have to look up the last time I've done two in a row. It's yeah. been, it's been years. I think somebody actually. will too. Here's the weird thing. Our audience is so awesome that somebody actually will go look this up. And so last time that yeah. Joe did two in a row, I, I'm guessing it could be 2015, but yeah. we'll, we'll see. Uh, I have, I have two raves. Uh, first rave is really quick. I was able to catch an interview uh, again yesterday on CNBC. I was watching this uh, special uh, with the CEO of the New York Times, Mark Thompson. And just real quick, in 2017, he said that the, that the New York Times significantly invested in marketing on multiple platforms. And I thought this was really interesting as so many content marketers out there don't put enough marketing behind their content. And here is one of the greatest media companies of all time putting a ton more behind their content and marketing it to drive subscriber growth. So just a thought, if you aren't seeing the kind of results you want, it might not be the content. It might be the fact that you're not marketing it. So that's my first one. Oh, um, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, second rave, I told you this before, uh, is that I finally finished reading The Tools of Titans by Tim Ferriss, all 600 plus pages of it. Wow. And to me, to me, it's absolutely a game changer, and I have 30 pages of notes to prove it. So, Robert, I wrote a take on sensibility specifically because something in this book caught my attention. Would you like to hear my take on sensibility? Um, you know, yes, and 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 I will and just to tease this up. This is my your your take on this is my rave this week. So just you just you go ahead and do your take, and then I'll give you my take. Oh, okay. Well, actually, um, my rave this week. So okay, because you yeah, you just you just saw this um, come through, and I I I you know I bared my soul with this. So here we go. Um, so the one concept related to marketing that that I couldn't get out of my head regarding this book is this idea of being sensible and. In most cases, as I think people would agree, being sensible is perceived as a good thing. So if you give some examples like that mutual fund choice was sensible or with all the snow parking on that side of the road was sensible. It made the most sense. And those buyer personas seem very sensible to me. But <laughs> I don't know if you agree or disagree, but generally sensible is seen as a positive. Now, after reading the Ferris book, you would think that sensible was a dirty word. Uh, in over the 100-plus interviews with the most successful people on the planet, uh, the book talks about being sensible sort of holds us back from reaching our goals. Uh, it seems that almost everyone's big break, as, as Tim Ferriss talks about in the book, came from not being sensible, not following the rules, and not walking the paths of others. And I think that's certainly been true in my life. And my least sensible decision of all time was leaving a six-figure job with great benefits to start what is now the Content Marketing Institute. And that worked out pretty nicely. It also you know, wasn't very sensible to do a long-term relationship with my um, fiance at the time. Uh, and then I followed her to Cleveland, Ohio. But that worked out pretty well, too. So uh, <laughs> you know, not, not very sensible, though. So if you, But if you look at content marketing, this is bring it back to, to content marketing. It seems completely silly, actually, for Red Bull to launch a men's lifestyle magazine. It doesn't seem so silly anymore. But, you know, what the heck was Aero Electronics? 
you know, Fortune 500 electronics manufacturer thinking when they started buying all those media companies. Well, today, they are the largest electronics media company in the world. It's completely transforming the industry. You know, why the heck would a mattress manufacturer, Casper, start a media platform all about sleep, known as Van Winkles, which is an amazing success story. So being sensible in marketing used to be the smart move. It was like buying IBM. You never got fired for buying IBM. Most companies are still very sensible when it comes to their marketing. And I believe, and we talked about on this show, that those are the companies that probably won't be around in 10 years. Those marketers, being completely sensible, will have their cozy jobs for a short while, but not for long. Um, sensible is is not the new black, in my opinion. It's it's pretty much yesterday's news. And and right now, I believe, you know, from reading this book and taking it all in, that is, it's not the time to be sensible. It's the exact time to be different, to take risks, to shake things up a little bit. And I believe, you know, if you think about this question, what can you deliver to your customers right now that is anything but sensible? You know, what can you communicate to your audience that is substantially different and unexpected? So I would just want everyone listening to this to go back, take a look at your your marketing plan, and really, you know, judge it. Is it sensible? Is it prudent? And I'm sure your management team absolutely loves the sensibility of it. Uh, That is until you and your marketing team get phased out. So, anyways, that that's that's my take. (laughs) And uh, and it's just so funny, Robert, as I read through this this book, how everyone's big break, and it was really everyone made a decision to go against the grain at some point. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. And and it's just, it seems so simple, right? But it's not. You actually have to realize what we're doing. We almost have to sit back and look at our marketing and say, you know, this this isn't uh, this isn't taking it up a notch. It truly isn't differentiated. And um, so I think there's a big opportunity because we all know that most marketers are pretty much um, erring on the side of safety at this point. I Well, so... You know, it's amazing. It's it's. I love that thinking. You know, you you probably knew that I would love that thinking. Um, and you know, and you and I didn't talk before the show. Um, uh, you know, I actually uh, outlined your piece um, that I got, and and it's my rave. It's my. Rave I can't believe that yeah, we didn't. We never really talk about yeah. our rants and raves. I and can't so, believe you chose um, that. It is my rave, and and so I'm not going to go through it again because you just went through it brilliantly. So I'm not going to go through it again. But what I will tell you is sort of, you know, the, the how it sort of applies and some of the things that we've talked about before and 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 seen is that you know right now we're in this very challenging spot in marketing it's how i open up my keynote these days when i talk about this idea of technology and what uh we've been able to achieve through technology and social media and audience fragmentation and all the things that we do in digital basically have been so wonderful but in a weird way it's made us you know while digital has felt so rebellious it's also made us more sensible it has actually made us take less risks um because now we do this thing that i call small marketing all the time right we stress and worry and figure out how to get more twitter followers or how to get more facebook likes or how to get more page views or how to get every graph up and to the right which is of course a sensible thing to do but it basically creates this you know, what I call the marketing at the cubicle level, right? Where we never solve any big problems for marketing our strategy because we're so focused on these sensible, incremental things that are safe. And so we never do risky, weird, odd things, basically, um, you know, unreasonable things. And I know you love this quote, 
the the quote from George Bernard Shaw. I know you've used it in a book. I've used it in a book, which is the un the, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world. The unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to his, and therefore, an unreasonable man is where all progress is made. And I love that quote, and it reminded me so much of that 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 quote because um, I think I just think it was great. So. So yes, well, thank you. Yes. That's it's, so it's nice. Just absolutely very inspiring, um, as you frequently are. And so my second very quick rave here um, is, uh, and this one big hat tip by the way to Patrick Paraline. Uh, Paraline, Paraline. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name right, Patrick. Hi, Patrick. I know he's a fan of the show. Um, by the way, his company it's called Inyo Pools. I. I absolutely adore the name of that company it it didn't even dawn on me until i actually typed it and i was like in yo pool i was like oh that's good that's really really good in yo pools okay so anyway um so hi patrick thank you for the tip here um the story that we'll link to in the show notes is from recode.net and it talked about how google has been slowly sort of acquiring bits and pieces of Twitter. And so for those of you who listen to the show with any frequency or seen my predictions, you've seen that I've sort of doubled down on my prediction on Google acquiring Twitter. And I think this is a really interesting idea here is is that I think it may actually come to this, right, where Google acquires everything it wants from Twitter um, basically piece by piece. And so it's, you know, I don't want to draw the metaphor of sort of picking the meat off the carcass kind of thing, but that's maybe a little strong. But I do believe that they're getting the pieces that they wanted anyway. And at some point, they may take enough of it that they go, you know what, just getting the rest of it. You know, in other words, picking it apart piece by piece may actually be cheaper than actually trying to buy the whole thing at a sort of hyper hyper valuation that that it might have. And so... I will still stick to my prediction of Google acquiring Twitter, but I will amend it by saying it may happen one piece at a time. Um, and I just think it's a really interesting idea. And it, it, it's something that we may actually start to see more of as companies begin to divest themselves of pieces of their company as they start to pivot, right? You start to see Snapchat pivot and we can see Snapchat pivoting maybe. And maybe they do, maybe they don't actually. Um, once they IPO, maybe they actually don't go forward with their sort of temporal social media video thing. Maybe they do sell that piece off to Facebook or Instagram or somebody like that. And and uh, maybe they go all in on the sort of augmented reality thing and completely sell off that bit of it. Who knows? I think it's a really interesting time where there are like many businesses within businesses. Um, and I think it's a really fascinating way to think about how acquisitions may happen in the future. So So those are my two raves. Wow. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And uh, what's amazing about our This Old Marketing this week is that uh, it was totally sent in and written out. And it's beautiful, Robert. I have to tell you. Like, if you ever want to be on this show, if you send, like, the entire This Old Marketing example and write it out for us, it probably will get in because then you and I don't have to do as much work, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing two This Old Marketings in a row, because one of them, today's, was sent in by Asutosh, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which has, Asutosh has a great uh, Twitter sign, which is at GetIt. And Asutosh, now one of our fantastic listeners, has put this whole thing together for us on General Electric. And I'm going to read this out because he did a ton of work. There's a ton of links here, which I'll put in the show notes, uh, but I want to share this with you. So this is from Asutosh. And he says, 
I don't recall this being covered since I started listening, unless, gasp, I missed an episode that did, but... I thought the GE Podcast Theater production, The Message, and its, and its successor, Life at, I think it's Life.After, are absolutely fantastic examples of content marketing. I, for one, had no idea of GE's role in the production and didn't think much of the brought to you by GE and GE Podcast Theater and Panoply strapline in the opening and closing episodes beyond it being the usual sponsorship message. Turns out, the story is closely linked with GE's recent work in sonic therapy. Some digging around in a couple locations, and again, I'll put these links in the notes, and the real story emerges. What I found quite brilliant is, as the Neiman Labs report notes uh, suggest, here's a, a quote here, it's entirely possible to listen to the message without ever realizing GE's role in it. It totally resonates with the recurring theme of brands as publishers in this old marketing. This is what Asatosh says. As, as articulated by Andy Goldberg, Chief Creative Officer at GE, Andy says, I don't consider it advertising. It's a podcast show that just happens to be produced by a brand instead of a network. I'm not saying, hey, go out and buy a jet engine. It's science fiction story to connect listeners with what the GE brand is about without selling the GE brand. And that's directly from Andy Goldberg at GE. Asatosh goes on to say, I've I got to admit that there's some genius in the way GE has done this paired with what <laughs> I love this. You like, he says paired with, see what I did there. I am a, the sole <laughs> exactly. marketing acolyte. The, that's a hat, hat tip to you, Robert. The revelation on last week's episode that the people's choice awards are owned by P and G contracted out to a production firm, but doesn't push the P and G brand forward as much as it could. I wonder if there's some hidden genius in this manner of pure entertainment as content marketing. The Star Wars comics example from episode 109 also comes to mind. So if you want to look at look that one up, that's episode 109. This bit by GE's head of media innovation, Alexa Kristen, hit the nail on the head. And this is from Fast Company. It's a basic tenet of branded content, which too often too many marketers ignore. It's the quality that generates the audience reaction you're hoping for, not the number of times you can fit a brand mention in. By being upfront and clear about its involvement, it's called GE Podcast Theater, after all. Then stepping aside and letting the story do the work. The brand is fostering a valuable trust with listeners. This is a very interesting space where people are making a very conscious choice. You have to download the podcast. You have to subscribe and listen. And creating the relationships is some, and creating that relationship is something that brands in general covet. How do you create that relationship? How do you provide that value? States Kristen, the brand coming across as providing a really entertaining experience that people find fun and smart is something that we've been really excited about experimenting with. And this is back to Asutash. And he, so he, he concludes his commentary by saying, I strongly encourage you to give the podcast a listen. And by you, he means all our listeners, yeah. if you haven't already. <laughs> right. exactly. The content and production are incredibly strong and vindicates the belief in many of the power of sound above all above all other, and even, dare I say, virtual reality, to deliver immersive sensory engagement. Why is this a this old marketing example? As the reports above mentioned, GE first did this as General Electric Theater with the Ronald Reagan as host way back in the 50s. I trust Robert could wing an episode or two of that from the resources at his disposal for our listening pleasure. <laughs> And if this is old I don't have news, any, like special like warehouse, I know exactly. You're gonna, you're gonna, and he, 
wizard just, powers. Yeah, and he <laughs> just concludes with with uh, nice comments as, and if this is old news, I don't mind because I couldn't resist sharing it with this indefatigable duo. The world of marketing is all better due to you. That's so nice. Thanks for pulling this, pulling through this meandering note, Asatosh at get it can't thank you enough that oh was my fantastic it's wasn't just that something wonderful yeah i just i mean first of all thank you for doing our job thank oh you for God. doing the you know i mean that was just wonderful thank you so much for that it's just a, a fantastic our example. listeners are the best they are absolutely God. the best now if they could just write the whole show if they could out, write the whole show that would be really great and then really like great. and then send in the audio <laughs> clips and we'll exactly. just and produce it and, we'll, and send yeah. it up to send it up to uh, Stitcher and iTunes that would be yeah, really we want to take summer vacation this year or something yeah. no don't worry we won't yeah. we're going to continue on every week uh, regardless of whether or not somebody's got to go to a Red Hot Chili Peppers concert. That's right. So, so speaking of that, I know you're off. Uh, anything else going on this week other than the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Oh, I think there's, I think there's Super Bowl. Oh, uh, whatever. Is whatever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, actually, uh, I, I have some writing time set up for next week. Oh, that's because, great. Uh, you and I are working on some stuff how about you are you traveling this week i am i'm going to be traveling next week uh, i could first go to lovely minneapolis to see uh, our friend carlos abler at 3m and speak oh, yes. i'm the keynote speaker at their um, they're having a big internal conference at 3m and and uh, i'm speaking on content marketing of all things um but i'll get to see all of the so many of our friends and family from the show i'll see rebecca lieb i'll see michael brenner I'll see uh, Jason from LinkedIn. I'll see uh, you know so many so many wonderful people there um, during their event, and then I go on to my yeah my one of my least favorite places in the world, which is Orlando, Florida, and I have a, a, a keynote and a workshop there, and then I fly back to Sacramento, where I'm actually doing another keynote on Thursday, and then I'm finally home. So lots of airplane time, so lots of writing time next week for me. Wow. Yeah. Well, tell tell Carlos and all the. All our friends that I said hi. I, I wish will. I could be there with them, but it sounds like a great time. It will. I know Carlos has put a lot of work into he it. He indeed so. has. Yeah, he indeed has. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it for Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. We are signing off. And if you like this episode, number 169, won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? Won't you? Please. We love those kind reviews. And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com or your favorite podcatcher. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, let us know. Won't you hashtag us up at This Old Marketing on the Twitter? We'd love to thank you personally. If you feel like writing us a script or This Old Marketing or anything and story ideas, also let us know. You can send email to thisoldmarketing at contentinstitute.com or you can hashtag us up with those story ideas on Twitter at This Old Marketing. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes and available in the show as we publish on on Monday night, and of course, in its all replete Technicolor glory on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week, everybody, remember it's your story to tell. You tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.